What's the purpose? What, what is it? Why do we do this? And I said, and he asked that question to me. I said, well, I, I do it because everyone learns differently. Some are, they can listen and learn through maybe sermons. Some people learn through uh, drama or it's the telling of a story and it's done in a very tactful way and, uh, and they're able to grasp the storyline with costumes and music and it just grabs their attention and uh, I like telling a story and there's no better way to tell a story, make the Bible come alive, make the truths of the Bible come alive through contemporary stories and you know I shared with them, I said Jesus did that all the time. He always shared uh, stories that, that really touched the hearts of uh, people and uh, he was the greatest storyteller of all, conveying also through principles and also stories that really relate to people. So tonight is our final night on Bah Humbug, and, uh, and I'll tell you what, our actors have done a fantastic job, and uh, amen, they have. And uh, uh, Brother Ben, would you stand? Brother Ben Patterson is our Scrooge, and he is the meanest guy. That's an outstanding job. Oh, he's so mean, but on Sunday he's transformed to an angel of light, thank God. But no, I'm joking, but he is a, does a wonderful job. And of course, Miss Mildred and the, the, uh, the Victoria and Katrina are gossips. Woo! They, they, they just, uh, and I'll tell you what, if someone said, uh, wow, we we're shocked, you know, that, uh, that Ruth Ann Curry moved to the dark side. <laughs> <laughs> she, she was always uh, Mary Cratchit, and she was, you know, of course, she was in Esther in 2017, and always playing the sweet, glowing. But boy, she's as mean as a rattlesnake in this show. So, if you want to see her dark side, come tonight, and you're going to see how religious people can look really dark. But it's it's a great play, and uh, we appreciate all of the workers. That, you know. Productions involve a lot. I mean, I have a great lighting crew, uh, and I appreciate them that work so hard. And we also have our soundtrack crew. And then you've got Doug Floor, who is uh, who gets up all mics up everybody. Uh, Rodney runs all of these lights. Dave Pettit works as our stage manager, and uh, and Nicole has been running our soundtrack for us. And we just uh, we just got a great crew of people. I've got costume people that work costumes. Uh, we've just got, we've got hand prop people. We've got people that build props, works, works with us on props. Nicole Swart has done all the beautiful artwork. Give her a big hand. Nicole, stand up. Let me see you. This girl is gifted of the Lord, and she is just gifted with a vision. And I, I, I shared with her, I said, Nicole, I said, I had these colorful houses. I said, but I want the old world London's what we want. And she said, let me think about it. And she came back. And if you come see the presentation tonight, you're going to see the fan. If you haven't seen it already, you'll see the fantastic job that she has done. And Nicole, I love you and I appreciate you so much. We'll praise the Lord for you. But we've got so many people that really work behind the scenes. And I, I was a little reluctant to, to name some few people because, you know, I don't want to miss anybody. But I'll say everybody does an outstanding job and everyone works hard. Amen. So um, it's, it's worth it all. To God be the glory. Amen. Amen. And it is, I, I was 
really thrilled that Pastor Brad recognized my wife. We've been married for uh, going on 44 years. And amen. And Janet, I wish you a wonderful, happy birthday today. She is, let me tell you something, she has been by my side for 44 years in the pastorate. And uh, she's always good. I, and I will tell you this. I will tell you something. I've never, you know, we got called out on vacations, and we've, I've had to get, go and to serve. And she's never once gotten angry with me. She's never once became resentful to me. She has always been supportive, always maintains a sweet spirit. And uh, I, I deeply appreciate it. I could not be a pastor without this great woman. Now she can preach a pretty stinging sermon. I tell her, I said, you should get up and preach. I mean, she, she'd get on me about, you know, being careful and, you know, all the good stuff. But uh, she is a tremendous support, and I, I can't thank the Lord for her. She's the kind, she's quiet, she's kind of bashful. She's not the, the, the leader of the ladies. She's not that type. And uh, she's just, she tells me all the time, I'm here to be your wife. And, uh, uh, and she does a wonderful job at that. And I wish you a happy, happy birthday. And uh, I'm just glad that I'm 64 and that you're 24. So that is, you lucky, lucky stiff, you know. So, oh, oh, my goodness. I got to get the preach. I'm up here just chatting away. Today I want to speak to you about three lessons about the manger. And uh, my text is found in Luke chapter 2, verse 6 and 7. And I like what King James says. And so it was that while they were there, in Bethlehem. The days were accomplished that she should be delivered, and she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. Thank you for this time that we can come together as the family of God. Thank you for this time that we can come and open up the Word of God and let the Word of God speak to us, that we might receive truths that are hidden deeply in the Scriptures, that we can mind them and bring them out, and Lord, allow them to really minister to our hearts. Father, we'll pray that you would just bless us today. Uh, Open up our spiritual eyes. May we see things that we've never seen before, and I'll praise your name for how you work in our hearts. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said... Amen. It's amazing to me, in just a few weeks, we'll be celebrating uh, Christmas of 2019. That's the year of the Jetsons, you know, as a kid. I didn't think I'd ever live to be 2019. Most of us have our our homes already decorated, and uh, one of the most popular Christmas items we use to decorate this time of the year is the Christmas nativity scene. Next Sunday when you come... uh, All this will be transformed down below into a beautiful nativity scene, uh, and we are going to emphasize Jesus and the manger. Uh, Whether uh, you have a wooden manger nativity scene or a glass or porcelain, uh, we have Mary and Joseph, and we have ours. Someone gave us a a long, long time ago this uh, beautiful porcelain nativity set of Jesus, and we put that out every Christmas and uh, that's, the, that's just the hub of all of our Christmas decorations. 
And uh, we have Mary, Joseph, animals, shepherds, and the wise men. Of course, the central spotlight of the nativity is baby Jesus in the manger. And traditions are very, very good. It just keeps what's important alive and keeps it in front of us. But there's a danger of becoming so familiar with the story of the nativity that we become numb and we can become very indifferent uh, with the historical events that took place over 2,000 years ago. In fact, we have a tendency, all of us have a tendency to just gloss over the story of Christmas with a matter-of-fact mentality and subtly lose the wonder and the magnificence of the story of Christmas. I, all of us, you know, I've gone through in my lifetime 64 Christmases, and I, I don't think really I have really been able to comprehend the greatness and the, the, the most fabulous thing that happened on Christmas morning when Jesus Christ was born. There was a great, great uh, blessing and a joy that God brought to all of us. Uh, the baby in the manger seems to age many times like fading decorations in time. And it just becomes another familiar artifact, uh, another religious artifact that we take for granted. And because it's so elementary to the basics of our faith, we just become ho-hum about the amazing events of Christmas. Uh, and this year, I want us to take a look at the manger. I just want you to think with me this morning uh, about this manger that we have set up here this morning. I want us to go and look at the, the, the lessons that God wants us to, to know, and to teach us about the manger this morning. And if you have a manger at home, I want you to go home after church and just sit down and take a hard look at the manger and contemplate over the, the miracle of the manger. Years ago, Hollywood made a movie called uh, A Miracle on 34th Street. Uh, but this morning, we're going to consider the miracle on Manger Street. Amen. And this morning, I want to look at three lessons, and, and they're, they're basically simple. Number one, the, the manger held the, the world's greatest wrapped gift. The manger held the world's greatest wrapped gift. And I wonder when tradition of wrapping gifts began. In fact, in some ways, it seems rather odd. You have a wonderful gift, and then we turn around and we wrap it with paper, we conceal it, and we cover it up. And really, we should show the world uh, what we have that is valuable to us and precious that we give it to those we love. Uh, and, and many times, we conceal it. And although lots of people say that good things come in little packages, but the, the matter is, why do we conceal them? Why do we wrap them up? If, if they don't need a doorman. And the truth is, we like wrapping paper. Wrapping paper is a big thing. Uh, in fact, going to the store, uh, you know, you can pay high dollar for wrapping, wrapping paper. But why is it that we like wrapping paper? And, and I have a, a little gift here. And uh, it, look at the beautiful ribbon and the beautiful paper on this thing that's shiny. And, but we like it because this represents a surprise. It represents an expectation. It represents a presentation of something valuable that we've worked hard and we want to give it to someone that we love. So we like the way it announces that something special is contained in here. So the greatest gift that God gave to the world was wrapped. As the Bible says, in swaddling clothes. 
Uh, in fact, my favorite Bible story about wrapping a gift is the one about Jesus, born in a manger. Jesus was wrapped in swaddling clothes, which to be more precise means bits of cloth. Now, obviously, this is not swaddling clothes, but this is the babe. Jesus wrapped up his gift, just like you wrapped up the gift. And this is to, to announce to you that what he's giving to you is very special and it's precious. It's God saying to you, here is something wrapped in something that is dear to him. And the swaddling clothes was not, not so much fancy paper, but rather it was a representation of burial clothes, which was meaning that Christ says, I'm giving to you someone who is going to take your place of eternal death. I'm going to wrap him in swaddling clothes because he's going to die for you, and he's going to give you eternal life. The greatest gift was wrapped in a valuable, precious fabric to remind us of the greatness of the gift. And I, as I think about it, it's easy to miss the significance of also the wooden box, the wooden box that it comes in. In fact, this was made to feed animals because it's the silent sermon that has been loudly proclaiming the most valuable gift in the world. So he wrapped it, he placed it in a box, and he presented it to all of us. Because there was no room in the inn, Jesus had to be born in a manger, which was literally a trough. This was a crude feeding bin. This is where animals ate. This, some of the feeding spots were carved out on the side of a cave. And imagine the most valuable wrapped gift in the world placed in a box that was germ-infested, a box that God chose to convey a message to all of us. Now, back at that time, they understood something about feeding bins. As they went in haste, after they were called by the angels, they marveled at the lowly, miraculous birth of their Messiah, Jesus Christ. Now, the reason I love this image is because it, it made good sense to the first witnesses. And to be, to be honest, most of us don't have feeding bins in our homes. We can't relate. But the first witnesses were lowly shepherds. And when they saw that their Messiah, the one that was born holy from heaven, the one that was given from God the Father, giving his son to us to redeem us back to himself, that precious child was God's gift to you and I that we can be brought back into the family of God. And it's interesting. I wonder if they got the symbolism why God put his son wrapped in swaddling clothes, which is a reminder that he was going to die for all of us, that we might live eternally. I wonder if they understood the symbolism. God is all wrapped up in what sustains us. The manger tells us that God was put in a trough because God wants to feed us. The Bible says that, that God loves us so much, he wanted to be the bread of life. If you want to have eternal life, if you want to be sustained spiritually, you must realize that it is God that feeds us and feeds the soul forever. I wonder if they got that from the manger. 
In the end, God's gift was not covered with adornment, but it was covered with adoration. I like how the praise thing just uh, praised him just sang that song about how they came and they worshiped the Christ child. The shepherds came and they were in awe as they looked down into that trough and saw the Messiah. It wasn't just an ordinary baby, just like Father Christmas tells uh, Scrooge. It's not just an ordinary baby. This one is a divine intervention. You have mankind perpetuating his sinful seed, and God knew that we needed a Savior. We had a first Adam. He fell down in sin. We needed a second Adam. We needed another man to come to deliver us. And God said there's only one way that man's sin can be atoned for. There's only one way that man's sin can be covered, and that is the blood of God has to drip over the sins of man. And when the blood of Jesus comes in contact with the sins of man, there is a cleansing, there is a power that washes away the sins of man and causes us to be clean and whole in his sight. And when his blood touches your soul and when you allow his blood to appropriate that cleansing in your life it is then that God finds you qualified and finds you capable to come into his presence and to enjoy fellowship with a holy God your self-righteous rags will not do it is only through the blood of Christ he made it possible by giving the greatest gift and he wrapped it up like we're going to do in a few weeks. And he placed it in a box, humbly, to show the world that he has come to feed us eternal life forever. And then we look at the second thought this morning, and that is the fact that not only is it a gift from heaven, but the manger was God's gateway into this world. I believe in the sovereignty of God And if we believe that, I think we must believe that God didn't simply allow his son to be born in a stable. It was God's intention. It was God's choice that he would be born in a stable. There was no room in the end because God wanted it that way. If God had wanted it some other way, then it would have happened the other way. God is not held hostage to the problems and the conflicts of this world. Thank God, amen. You see, when they arrived in Bethlehem, they were turned away at the inn, and the baby was born in a stable outside, in the cold, with the animals, no doubt. They had no privacy, they had no sanitation, and very little protection from the elements. Why would God send his son into such a crude state as this? And I think there are several answers to that question. First of all, Christ was born like this to show his humility. The humiliation of Jesus would have been fitting, would it have been fitting that the man who was to die naked on the cross, should he be born in a purple robe at his birth or in a golden cradle? All his life, he would be nothing more than a peasant. Nothing is more fitting for Christ than to be born in a manger since he had laid aside his glory for the form of a servant. Second, he was born like this because he was the king of the poor. Jesus Christ did not come to appease the rich. He came to reach the poor. He came to reach you and I who are 
in this state who understands not only poverty in this sense financially, but poor in spirit, realizing that we're broken and that we have a need and that we need cleansing and that we need help. God is near to those who come to him with a sense of an awe of his greatness to help us in our time of need. We need him this morning. Do you need him? The poor and the outcast knew Jesus was one of them because of the way he came into the world. In the eyes of the poor, imperial robes only intimidated men. But the lowliest of all low men would feel comfortable enough to come to an old crude stable. This is what they were used to. Shepherds were nothing but animal people, and they understood that the one that came to this world who was wrapped as a special gift was the gateway to heaven, and Jesus Christ came because he made an appeal to the poor. A man in their own type of garments attracted their confidence. The poor of the earth know that in Jesus they have a friend who cares about them. And thirdly, he was born like this in order that the humble might feel invited to come to him. The very manner of his birth turned away from the inn. Born in a stable was an invitation to the rejected, the abused, the mistreated, the forgotten, and the overlooked to come to him for salvation. We might tremble to approach a throne. We're not used to that. We're intimidated with the power of a throne, but we're not afraid to approach a lowly manger. Why did God present himself to the world in a box wrapped in swaddling clothes in a humble, lowly, tight box called a manger? And that was to invite us to humbly come to him because he is easily entreated. You can approach him. He loves you. He doesn't care about how much money you have in your bank account. He doesn't care about uh, all the sins that you have allowed to pile up in your life. You can come to him just the way you are, and he invites us to come. You don't have to be prestigious. You don't have to be famous. You don't have to be a celebrity. All of those folks who are stuck with the world's idealism of greatness, the Bible says, let a man come just the way he is in his brokenness, and I will receive him. And the, the manger is is a powerful message. I have come for everyone, especially those who are low. Amen? I find this is an inspiring thought. And then number three, the manger stands as the greatest object lesson today. This manger stands as an object lesson If we stand back and consider this one aspect of the the Christmas story, some amazing truths are going to emerge. We learn something about God because of the manger, something about the world, something about Jesus, something about his followers. First, we learn that God uses adverse circumstances that don't make sense at the time in order to accomplish his purposes in the future. I'm sure Mary and Joseph, after they understood the news that the Holy Spirit would overshadow Mary and that God was going to give her a child, she just probably had levels of expectation that all things were going to be great and glorious, but things didn't work out the way she thought. 
And it took faith on her part to receive the message of God. So this manger reminds us that God takes us in places in life that we don't expect. A lot of people get saved and they expect everything is going to be snapped up, you know, and things are going to come together and things are going to be glorious. Sometimes life can take some twists and turns and God has a plan and we got to learn that adverse circumstances are going to come our way. And we got to realize that even though we don't understand it all, we must have faith that no matter what God is doing in our life, it is for his divine purpose. At first glance, the fact that there was no room in the inn seems like an insignificant detail in the larger picture. But I assure you that it was no small detail for Mary and Joseph. Mary was about ready to give a child. And, and, and all of these contractions became heavier and heavier. And, and she knew that they were, in, they were going to have a problem. That They had no place to deliver the child. And constantly, one word after another, there's no room, no room, no room. And there was this intensity. And Mary was probably thinking to herself, God, you wanted me to have this baby, but Lord, it just doesn't seem like you're answering according to your timing. Lord, what are you doing? And I'm sure there was questions in the both of them. They were turned away at the very moment when the baby was coming. It must have been devastating for them. Giving birth in a dusty, dirty stable no doubt tested their faith to the limit. Certainly, it, it wouldn't have made sense in the time, and they were probably thinking, why? Why is it happening this way? Mary and Joseph, no matter how devout they were, simply could not have foreseen this negative turn of events that would turn, turn about to be a part of God's plan to bring his son into the world. They might have believed it, but they would have not seen it in advance. We look back at the story. We know how it's all going to turn out. So we just, we rejoice that they went through it. But as they went through it, they were in the dark of as far as God laying out his plan. But they had faith to know that God had a purpose. Life is like that. We don't know what is coming around the corner for us. Many things we endure, it doesn't make sense any at all. And sometimes they don't make sense for years to come. And sometimes they never make sense to us until we reach heaven. And moments of difficult situations, rather than trying to explain the mysterious ways of God, or we try to answer unanswerable questions, we do better to rest on what we know about God. First of all, that he is good, he is just, and he's merciful. When things don't go the way that I think they should go, I begin to question, God doesn't care. God doesn't love me. God's maybe not so just as I thought he was. And I have a tendency to question God. But the fact of the matter is, I got to come back to the foundational truths that God has a plan, God has a purpose, and what God wants me to do is keep walking forward and keep trusting him and knowing that God will help me in the future. I've got to trust him. You have to trust him. We've got to believe that he brings all these things about to grow us in the faith and to work out his plan and purposes. His ways are not our ways. And he makes no mistakes, and he does whatever he pleases. When God says, I choose a manger, Mary was thinking, I don't want my baby to be born in this animal-infested, bug-infested manger. This is not 
what I had in mind. This is not what I thought was going to be a glorious experience. This is crude. But God said, this is what I want. Because I want this manger to represent a lowly entrance for all men to come and approach me. God had a plan. Second, we learn his humiliation started early and it continued to the very end. He was born outside because they wouldn't let Mary and Joseph come inside. He owned nothing but the clothes on his back. And when he was crucified, the soldiers gambled for his own clothes. And when he died, they buried him in a borrowed tomb. And the whole story is quite remarkable if you think about it. After one of the services on Sunday, a guy came up to me after I preached. It was a couple years ago. And he said, it's a miracle. We worship a man born in a dumpster. At first I thought, What? And that was an exaggeration on his point, but it's really true. It's closer to the truth to say that a a man was born in a dumpster to say that, that we worship a man born in a palace. The fact of the matter is, God has a plan. God has a purpose. Jesus is more than a man. He's the son of God. He's not less than fully human either. You see, our Savior's birth pictured the whole course of his life. He was born outside the inn, and he died outside the walls of Jerusalem. He was an outsider in every sense. He came from the outside of this earth. He was born outside of the inn, and he died outside the city walls of Jerusalem. And third, we learn that his followers share in the same fate. We live with him. We suffer with him. We die with him. And then we will reign with him. You see, what happens to Jesus happens to his followers sooner or later. And just as there was no room for Jesus, there is no room for his followers either. In fact, this week I noticed a detail in the Christmas story I'd never seen before. Whenever I had read or heard Luke 2, 7, I always read and heard the phrase this way, because there was no room for him, him, Jesus, in the end. But that's, I went back and read it again carefully, but that's not what he said. He actually wrote, because there was no room for them in the end. And that's significant. There was no room for Mary or Joseph either. Even that detail tells a story. They are also outside of the inn when Jesus is born. What happened to him happened also to them. And that's a pattern for us in the future. Once you receive Jesus Christ as Savior, once you embrace him, you got to realize that the world ostracizes you. And we become united with him. You may be here this morning thinking, I don't want Christ to remain on the outside, but I'm willing to make room for Jesus in the cradle of my heart this morning. You see, it's our calling, it's our task, our glory to create the cradle, to be that place. I love the scene where, where Father Christmas and, and uh, Scrooge are conversing at the cemetery scene. And I love it when Scrooge actually sees his fate without Christ. There is no hope. To reject God's plan of salvation is only condemnation. Death, eternal death. 
And Father Christmas clearly shared with him. He said, you, you've got to understand that the reason Christ came is to pardon you, to forgive you, and to cleanse you. And he loves you despite of the fact that you're a sinner and hardened in your sin. He loves the hardest and the ugliest sinner. He loves that soul. Amen. And he invites you to come. And I love this part where Father Christmas looks at Scrooge and says, will you open your heart to him? I get chill bumps when he says that. Will you open your heart to him? Will you push out the busyness of your life, the hectic schedules of your life, the distractions? Will you push all of those things out And will you take the Lord who is on the outside and bring him in the inside? Will you create a cradle in your heart? Will you provide a place for him? And Scrooge has to contemplate that. I like that. Because now he's rearranging his life. It's not just a quick snap decision. It's like, wow. Am I ready to put Christ on the throne of my life? That means I have to transform my life. That means I have to rearrange my life, and I've got to put him as number one, which would affect my giving to the Lord. That would affect my obedience to the Lord. That would require my service to the Lord. That means he is Lord of my life. He's king of my life. He's going to have control of my life. I'm going to let him reign in me. Love that. I love it in that scene where Scrooge, and if you come tonight, you'll see it. It's really powerful. And the song in the background is, Oh, come all you faithful. And Scrooge looks over to Father Christmas and he says, I will. I will make room for Jesus. I will create a cradle in my heart for him. I will adore him. I will magnify him. I, I, and, and that's where the transfa- transformation takes place. When, when you put Christ on the pinnacle of your heart, everything changes, my friend. Stop keeping Christ on the outside. Bring him into the inner court of your heart. Worship him. Adore him. Let him be God in your life. You've done it your way a long time, and you've got a big royal mess. Why don't you just trust him? Why don't you just have faith in him? Why don't you make room for him in your life? Get rid of the stuff and put him and let him reign. Praise him. Worship him. Magnify him. Give him glory. Amen. And the transformation took place. Scrooge got saved. My gracious, Charles Dickens missed that. He gets saved. And early the next morning, he wakes up and he goes, I'm not dead. I'm not dead. My gracious, he even gave his housekeeper money. (laughs) She was shocked. Then he gave money to the poor man. Then he gave money to the church. And he gave money to to people in the town. And he was transformed, gloriously transformed. But you could see the radiance. And they even talked about, we haven't seen you smile in 50 years. You see, 
When you take Christ from the outside and you put him on the inside and put him on the throne of your heart, it'll change you. It'll change you. It is glorious. The manger, the greatest gift, the greatest gift in an old crude box, germ-infested, God says, I want to use this manger to remind people that I care about the lowly. Jesus came as a peasant. That's why the, the scribes and the Pharisees despised them. They expected some royal king to be born, but He's just a lowly Jewish carpenter. And he appealed to the common man, to people like you and me. And he allowed this manger to be a gate because all of those who received this humble Christ will find themselves in the kingdom of God. And thirdly, this manger represents a lesson for all of us. God's taking us places that we have no idea what God is doing in our life. But may I say this? What God did in Mary's life and Joseph's life, it was not about them. It was about him. What God is doing in your life right now, it's not about you. Just rejoice that he's taking you through a path that he has a divine purpose and a plan. Not to be mean, not to be thoughtless or detached from you. He loves you. But he created you for a purpose and a plan. Trust him. Just trust him. And when you're going through this hardship, don't get all angry and sour at God. He's good. Trust him. He's good. He's good. He's good. He's doing something. And one day, he's going to reveal it to us in heaven. And he's going to answer the very difficult things that we've had to really deal with in life. And he's going to answer it. And we're going to fall on our faces in his glorious presence. And we're going to say, wow. But God said, I can only reward you for the faith that you have. Because blessed are the man and the lady that sees and believes my plan and purpose while they're living in this life. This is a lesson to us. God has a plan. It's going to be wonderful. It's going to be wonderful. This morning, just like Scrooge says, I will make room for him. He is my only hope. You could feel that, couldn't you, Ben, when you played that part? I mean, when he saw his name on that grave and he saw that thing lit up in red, which was typifying the flames of hell, and he saw, he said, did I make it up? And the death angel said, nope. He knew he was doomed. And I like what Father Christmas says. Mark looked over him and said, 
Don't lose hope. Now I'm behind the set. And I'm shouting. Because I know there's people coming to this church who have no hope. And the message that is going out to everyone, there is hope because we have a high priest in the heavens who's ready to atone us of our sins and to birth us into the kingdom of God. And all the junk that we go down through in this life is all going to come out glorious and with God's plan. And he's going to reveal it to us and we will praise him in heaven forever. Don't be discouraged. <laughs> This manger is hope for the lowly, and I'm glad. I'm glad there's hope in Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father.